Hi, I'm Drew Beebe, the host of a new podcast from CNN called Great Big Story. It's a show about the curious side of the human experience. And I know that sounds like a lofty idea, but hear me out. Over the course of this show, we'll talk to some of the most interesting people you've ever met, from brilliant code breakers to a couple building their own artificial island. If you're itching for a good story and you're curious like I am, well, I think you might like this show. Give us a listen wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And good evening. Thanks for joining us. Today saw a number of significant medical developments in the coronavirus outbreak, including a new study casting doubt on that, the accuracy of that rapid testing system that's used by the White House itself. We'll have more on that tonight. Also, the CDC preparing to alert health professionals to a dangerous and potentially life-threatening condition in children that is linked to the coronavirus. We're going to talk to a dad who nearly lost his son, along with the boy's brother who provided life-saving CPR for his brother. It's an incredible story. In addition, there's new research that's come out today showing the virus can attack far more than just the lungs. It is, according to the study, a multi-organ killer. Yet with all that, with states being left to fend for themselves largely when it comes to testing and contact tracing, with detailed CDC guidance on safely easing quarantine measures being slow-walked or even withheld from states, with so many hard realities facing Americans, including the anticipated loss of millions more jobs, the president again today chose to focus his attention on a different element of the pandemic. He chose to pick a fight with his own top medical expert, Dr. Anthony Fauci, apparently because Dr. Fauci, during Senate testimony yesterday, chose to acknowledge the realities that he's got four decades of experience facing when it comes to viruses and public health. Now, here's some of what Dr. Fauci said yesterday about schools and businesses reopening too soon. My concern that if some areas, cities, states, or what have you, jump over those various checkpoints and prematurely open up without having the capability of being able to respond effectively and efficiently, my concern is that we will start to see little spikes that might turn into outbreaks. Dr. Fauci went on uh, to talk about uh, schools reopening some places as being a bridge too far uh, to expect a vaccine or widely available treatment for COVID-19 by the time that students return in the fall. That was the bridge too far, though he expects optimism a vaccine would be developed in the next year or two. He also told senators he did not have a confrontational relationship with the president. Well, here's the president this evening. Mr. Fauci yesterday was a little cautious on reopening the economy too soon. Uh, do you share his concerns? About reopening what? Reopening the economy too soon, some states. Look, he wants to play all sides of the equation. Keep it honest, it's not even clear what that means. Playing both sides of what equation? The president was asked to elaborate. He called what Dr. Fauci said, quote, not an acceptable answer. Again, not sure what that means either. Not acceptable politically. The doctor wasn't testifying in a political capacity. He was talking about the public health realities of a virus that's already killed more than 84,000 Americans and is projected by modeling that the White House itself has relied on in the past, although who knows now what they rely on. They relied on it. They've relied on in the past. It now projects nearly 150,000 people in this country will die by August. Tomorrow, the government official who was pushed out allegedly for questioning the president's former wonder drug, hydroxychloroquine, testifies before House lawmakers. He's expected to warn, quote, if we fail to develop a national coordinated response based in science, I fear the pandemic will get far worse and that 2020 will be darkest winter in modern history. 
CNN Chief White House Correspondent Jim Acosta joins us right now with more on this and the response to doses of reality like that and from Dr. Fauci. So, Jim, what are you learning about the, the president and the, and the coronavirus death toll? Because there have been rumblings now for quite some time yeah. that the president and even publicly, the president sort of seemed to be questioning the death toll itself, that it was somehow phony in some way. Yeah, my, my colleague Kevin Liptak and I, Anderson, we've been digging into this. We found that not just the president who is questioning these numbers, but senior officials inside the White House, inside the administration, are questioning whether or not that uh, overall coronavirus death toll for the United States is accurate and uh, essentially whether or not that number is too high. They feel like the, the number may be overcounted at this point. Uh, we've heard the president make some rumblings about this in the past, but one reason why uh, they're concerned is too high, uh, according to a senior administration official, the, that grim uh, uh, death toll obviously guides their policy. They can't be in as much of a hurry to reopen these states and schools and all sorts of other uh, facets of daily life uh, if the, those numbers are weighing down those decisions. And so uh, they've been uh, talking about this behind the scenes at various meetings as to whether or not uh, the data can be believed. And they're in the process of doing that right now. That does fly in the face of what Dr. Anthony Fauci, who you just mentioned, uh, has been saying. He testified uh, yesterday uh, during that hearing that, if anything, the number of dead has been undercounted because, for example, in New York City, you had people dying at home not being counted as official COVID-19 fatalities. Uh, and so once again, there was tension between the scientists and the political people inside the administration. I mean, it, I can't think of anything more offensive to a family than to have the death of their loved one, the reason for the death of their loved one you know, rewritten by the White House or the administration uh, in order for whatever purpose that may, you know, political purpose that may be. It just seems uh, 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 really just you're you're it's so fundamentally uh, wrong to 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 do that. Absolutely, Anderson. And, and if the public can't trust how the administration is handling the numbers, just the, the just the numbers, the, the scope of uh, this pandemic here in the U.S., uh, I think I think it's a fair question to ask. How can the public trust everything else that they're saying at this point? The president is also lobbying some criticism at Fauci. You know, we heard him saying there that he's, you know, playing, you know, all side, both sides of the equation. I'm not sure what the two sides are. I mean, I didn't know there, there were sides in a pandemic. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, our reporting has been all along, Anderson, and I think that's been your observation as well, uh, that uh, Dr. Fauci has been on the side of science uh, from the beginning of all of this. Uh, but the president, you're right, was taking some shots at his top medical expert uh, talking to reporters earlier this afternoon. He was mainly taking issue with Dr. Fauci's assessment as to whether or not schools should be reopened. Fauci has been urging a lot of caution in that area. And the president was asked at one point, well, what do you mean when you say that Dr. Fauci is trying to be on all sides of the equation? And here's what he had to say. When you say Dr. Fauci is playing both sides, are you suggesting that the advice well, he's given to you is, is I was different? surprised by his answer, actually, uh, because, uh, you know, uh, it's just, to me, it's not an acceptable answer, especially when it comes to schools. The only thing that would be acceptable, as I said, is professors, teachers, etc., over a certain age. I think they ought to take it easy for another few weeks, five weeks, four weeks, who knows, whatever it may be. But I think they have to be careful because this is a, a disease that attacks age and it attacks health. And if you have a heart problem, if you have diabetes, if you're a certain age, uh, it's certainly uh, much more dangerous 
But with the young children, I mean, uh, and students, it's really, it's uh, just take a look at the statistics. It's pretty amazing. And Anderson, the president went on to say, well, you know, young students who are traveling, uh, you know, to school and uh, heading into the classroom, they're young. They can withstand all of this. The, the science has shown in the last several days that that's not the case, uh, that there are mysterious illnesses that are striking some of these kids who uh, contract the coronavirus. Uh, and, and there's obviously the issue of, well, how do you open schools and universities across this country if you have elderly people teaching classes, working as principals, working as head coaches of sports teams and so on? And so this was another one of those examples, uh, Anderson, of the president riffing uh, about how to reopen society when scientists like Dr. Fauci just trying to stick to the uh, facts in all of this and trying to arrive at a conclusion that works for everybody. It also ignores the other obvious reality, which is that uh, children go home to families and parents and in some cases grandparents that they live That's in right. or with or aunts and uncles. Uh, and maybe the kids are fine, uh, but they can pass the virus along uh, in that way. Jim Acosta, stay with us. I want to bring in Cena's political analyst, call New York Times White House correspondent. Yeah, uh, Maggie, Maggie Haberman is joining us. Uh, Maggie, uh, the reporting that the president is privately questioning whether coronavirus deaths are being overcounted. I mean, it doesn't come as a surprise. You know, he was raising questions about the, the death toll in New York when New York started looking at people who had died at home and didn't necessarily test positive for COVID. But it was assumed that they did have COVID. Deaths at home have obviously gone up an unusually high amount. I mean, I guess it shouldn't come as a surprise that he's now you know, more forcefully, and, and the reporting is more widely in the White House, questioning this. Right. Anderson, I think it's important to note that the president is not alone in this. There are a bunch of folks inside the White House, among them, according to what we've heard and I think what others have reported, uh, Dr. Deborah Burks, who has uh, raised concerns about specifically some of the information coming out of the CDC. Uh, I think that there has also been questions about how people are counting these death tolls. Look, it, from, from one standpoint with the president, what he could be talking about, and I think he has talked about before, is that he is suggesting it just creates this very high number that I think he thinks is being used against him in some way politically. Uh, I think there are other questions about whether um, it is to the advantage of states to have higher counts as they are looking for aid or help. There has been a push-pull with this White House and the states, particularly New York, for a while about whether uh, there is an over-ask by the state and local governments, whether they're asking for too many supplies, whether they're asking for too much money, whether they're asking for X, Y, Z. You know, there are often these kinds of push-pulls, as you know, between states and federal governments. Um, but in this case, uh, it, it's relating very specifically to the, to the death toll numbers. You know, Fauci testified about this yesterday and said that, if anything, he thinks the count is low, which was striking in comparison to what we've heard the president say and what some others in the White House are saying. Right. And Maggie, I mean, I, I read the reporting on, on Dr. Burks uh, questioning the CDC and, and saying that, well, you know, if people didn't actually get a diagnosis of they were positive with COVID, then that might put into question the cause of, of their death. The idea that, you know, you don't give there's not enough testing for people. Testing's not available for anybody who wants it, as the president keeps saying. Um, and people die without getting tested. And in some places, morgues are backed up and they're not testing everybody even in death about, you know, whether or not they were COVID positive. It's just assumed they are. So to then deny those people the at least the honesty of what caused their death, 
just seems particularly striking for this administration to not to fail on testing and then claim, well, because that person wasn't tested, uh, you know, this doesn't count. I think what you just said, Anderson, is exactly it. I think that um, the the biggest failure from this administration uh, over the first two months of this crisis was in the testing. There were other failures as well, including that the president was uh, playing down the severity of the virus all through the month of February uh, up until the very end. Um, but the, the testing failure is, is continuing to haunt the federal government and haunt states that are dealing with this. And so, yes, if you don't have tests, then you, of course, can't test for whether somebody uh, died of it. And also the universe of testing is not perfect. They are still figuring out uh, how to get precision on these tests. So even if there is testing, you can get a false negative. We certainly know that about the testing uh, method used at the White House uh, more often than not. So I think that um, in most cases, you would think that an administration would be open to the possibility that there were more deaths, not fewer. Uh, that is not the way this White House is going. Yeah, as he said publicly, the, the, those numbers, higher numbers of testing, higher numbers of, of positive people, uh, he believes makes us look bad, he said. Jim, President Trump saying that Dr. Fauci's answer in schools reopening is not acceptable and that schools, quote, are going to be open. It's not really up to the president. I mean, it's, it is it's state, state by state makes that call or even local officials in some cases, no? Uh, that's right, Anderson, and, and it is going to be handled in a state-by-state basis, sometimes school-by-school basis. We're seeing universities announcing uh, some of their plans uh, for the fall, and, and it is going to vary school-by-school. School. The other thing that needs to be said, Anderson, is that, remember, in this clash, I, I suppose that's in the making now of uh, Dr. Fauci and President Trump, this has been going on, building up for several weeks now, the public trusts Dr. Fauci. CNN just had a poll yesterday that came out that shows uh, by a wide margin, Americans trust Dr. Fauci much more so than President Trump. And so really the administration, the White House has put themselves in a position where uh, they have elevated Dr. Fauci as somebody that they look to for guidance in all of this. And then all of a sudden to have the president turn into somebody who sounds like he's on prime time in Fox News, I think is going to be jarring to a lot of Americans. And Americans may be thinking, you know what, I'm going to listen to Dr. Fauci about sending my kids to school and not the president. That, that is the scenario that they're building right up uh, at the White House as we speak. Right. People, might want, people might want to listen to Dr. Fauci, but they're not going to hear from Dr. Fauci because they're not having these briefings anymore from the coronavirus task force. And let's see how often the president uh, calls on Dr. Fauci to, uh, to make public comments. Jim, thank you. Maggie Haberman as well. As we mentioned, there's plenty there's to talk about purely on the medical side. To Maggie's point on testing, that new study warning that Abbott's ID Now, which was a quick COVID-19 test, it frequently gives false negative results. The COVID-related syndrome affecting kids. New evidence the virus attack multiple, attacks multiple organs in the body. We're going to have an update on all of that and the apparent clash between medical realities and what the president would perhaps like them to be. Joining us is the United's chief medical correspondent, Dr. Sanjay Gupta. Also, Michael Osterholm, director of the University of Minnesota Center for Infectious Disease Research and Policy. Um, Sanjay, just as a doctor, when you hear the president say that Dr. Fauci wants to play all sides of the equation, do you understand what that means? Because, I mean, I I don't know if the sides are science and politics or he thinks it's Democrat and Republican. I don't know what the sides are. I, I don't know what the sides are uh, either, Anderson. I think that Dr. Fauci has been pretty pretty consistent in what he's been saying, uh, you know, all along here. I mean, I think one of the things that came up yesterday was this idea that uh, would a vaccine be available by the fall? 
And Dr. Fauci always, you know, he's very careful with his words. I think the way he phrased it was uh, that would be a bridge too far, I think, to, to suggest that a vaccine would be available by the fall. A vaccine is not going to be available by the fall. I think, you know, he knows that. He's trying to, like, balance hope and honesty, I think, with, with the American public. But I think he's been very consistent. I think when it comes to, to children in particular, I think, you know, we are learning as we go along. I think one of the things that that's, we've just learned over the last couple of weeks is this concern about children developing this this post-inflammatory syndrome, you know, that uh, is sort of like Kawasaki. I mean, we didn't really have that on the radar a month ago. We were seeing cases out of the United Kingdom. This is now a concern. And the point that you raised, Anderson, that even if kids uh, who are less likely to become very ill from this, which is obviously a good thing, but they can still be carriers. So I think the point Dr. Fauci was making is in communities where there is still sustained community transmission, it's probably not a good idea to open up schools in those areas. In areas where you feel like you have it under control, you have few cases, you feel like you have enough testing, perhaps that's an option. So, you know, it it was very much in line with what he said all along. I think it's just, uh, for whatever reason, it's being interpreted differently now. Michael, on the the death toll, um, you know, CNN reporting the president, some of his aides within the White House, questioning the COVID-19 mortality numbers, saying that that there may be overcounting going on. Do you think there's overcounting going on? Well, actually, I'll go one step further and say that the number of deaths we have right now is not the right number. It is higher. I agree with Tony Fauci. I think when we actually go back and look very carefully at what these people died from with as much information as we can, I wouldn't be surprised if we actually see the final death toll up to this point at least underestimated by 10%. So to suggest that it's just the opposite absolutely has no bearing at all on a science-based approach. Why would it be underestimated, do you think? Because, in fact, the number of people who did die at home or did not have access to testing. As you know, we had major challenges getting testing done. And to be called a case, you had to be tested. Now, some people will argue, well, if you tested something, they're positive, but they die from their cancer or whatever, that they shouldn't be called a a case of COVID-19. We actually agree. So that's not the fact of the matter is is they they weren't overdiagnosing in any major way. What they were doing is missing people who couldn't be tested and that therefore couldn't be called COVID on their death certificate. And Sanjay, there there are two new reports out today that found that the the COVID-19 attacks, not just the lungs, also the throat, heart, liver, brain, kidneys and intestines. It, It just seems like, I mean, as we learn more, I mean, as this continues, we learn more and more. Uh, just about how kind of terrifying this virus is. Yeah, I mean, I think I think in the early days, and again, no one knows this better than Michael Osterholm. But but in the early days, I think the the idea was, is this going to behave like SARS or or MERS, the Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, which were also both coronaviruses, or was this going to behave in a completely different way? And, it, and it's behaving very differently. I mean, the idea that someone would have isolated loss of smell as a symptom. Uh, you know, I don't think people predicted that. Uh, everything from the nose to the toes, all these organs in between, uh, potentially affected by this. I don't. I don't know why. I, 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 there is still a mystery here. You know, is this affecting the blood? 
uh, in some way because the blood obviously is circulating through all these organs? Is it causing inflammation that is much more widespread in the body than just the, uh, the respiratory system? The, you're right, Anderson. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of lessons to be learned. Why are kids developing this now, this, this Kawasaki-like syndrome? I mean, we've been dealing with this with month, for months. Did we just miss these kids earlier? Or is something happening you know, in quite a delayed sort of way uh, from, these, from these infections? So uh, you're right. I mean, you know, we are witnessing sort of the, the, the textbook, I guess, of a new disease. I mean, there will be textbooks written about this, and we're learning as we go along. Yeah, Michael, just if you would just add on to that or, or, well, or, uh, or you know, what are your, what are your thoughts on, on what well, we actually, have Well, actually, I, I agree, and I think I just reflect back on some of the previous shows you've done where Sanjay has spent time talking about drug therapies. And one of the challenges we have is we typically, when we use a drug therapy, we're going after a specific target because it's doing one thing to the individual, whether the virus is destroying tissue or it's the immune response. And I think, as Sanjay just laid out, what we're seeing are so many different manifestations, it's not clear what we're trying to treat. Uh, more often than not, wow. we're treating multiple things at the same time, which makes us really complicated. That's really scary. Um, uh, Michael Osterholm, always thank you very much. Appreciate it. Thank Sanjay you. as well. Thanks Coming up next, we'll talk to U.S. Senator who's trying to find out why CDC guidelines for how to safely reopen the country appear to be sitting on a shelf instead of going out to states and localities where they might save lives and perhaps jobs too. And later, a child's life saved during his battle with COVID-related syndrome. We've been talking about his dad and his brother join us to talk about how he's doing, what it was like when they thought they might lose him and how his brother probably saved his life. As we mentioned at the top of the program, demoted federal health official Rick Bright is expected to tell House lawmakers tomorrow about the need for a, quote, national coordinated response based in science, unquote, against the outbreak. The rules for that response have actually been written. According to the Associated Press, they've been drafted by the CDC. Given, give, uh, they give step-by-step instructions to states and churches and organized religious institutions and other uh, schools instructions for reopening safely. Yet states and localities have yet to actually see those CDC guidelines. Yesterday, our next guest, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, pressed the CDC's director on what became of that plan. My specific question is, why didn't this plan get released? And if it is just being reviewed, when is it going to be released? Because states are reopening right now, and we need this additional guidance to make those decisions. The guidances that you've talked about uh, have gone through that interagency review. There are comments that have come back to CDC, and I anticipate they'll go back up into the task force for final review. But, but we're reopening uh, in Connecticut in five days, in 10 days. I mean, this guidance isn't going to be useful to us in two weeks. So is it this week? Is it next week? When are we going to get this expertise from the federal government? The, the other thing I will just say is that the CDC stands by to give technical assistance to your state and any state upon any request. Uh, um, I do anticipate this broader guidance, though, to be um, posted on the CDC website uh, soon. I soon. can't tell you soon, Eight. but in, in, I can tell you your state can reach out to CDC and we'll give guidance directly to anyone in your state on any circumstance that your state desires guidance from. Soon isn't terribly helpful. Yeah, to say the least, Senator Murphy joins us now. I mean, that's incredibly frustrating. Senator Murphy, you know, uh, that was uh, CDC Director Redfield. He told you the guidelines are going to be released soon. I just want to play what Dr. Burks told us in our town hall 
last week. This was Thursday last week. Let's play this. Those are still being worked on. No one has stopped those guidelines. We're still in editing. I just got um, my edits back from the CDC late yesterday. I'm working on them as soon as I get off of this um, this discussion. As somebody who works in television and has worked in television for you know almost 30 years, a lot of stuff dies in editing. And that's a way to kill stuff and just say, oh, yeah, it's being edited. It's working on We'll work on it more in editing. I mean, it makes no sense. States are lifting restrictions without these detailed guidelines. And I, I mean, I looked at the document. They're incredibly detailed. They look like they'd be very helpful. What's going on here? Yeah, I mean, you know, if your star player arrives at the game uh, after the ninth inning, it doesn't really matter. And the fact is, our star players are at the CDC, our best epidemiologists, the people who can offer the clearest and most relevant guidance as to how we reopen our economies, are in the Centers for Disease Control. What's the point of the CDC if it doesn't offer expertise to states when they are opening up after the worst pandemic to hit this country in a century? Uh, And so, yeah, my worry is that this guidance is never going to be released. Connecticut's opening up uh, our economy starting on Monday. Uh, And so, frankly, even if they release it tomorrow, it's largely irrelevant. We're already making plans. And we've got smart people in our state, but we don't have nearly the expertise that the CDC does. And I listen, I think this is ultimately about the president wanting to be able to have clean hands. I mean, the president doesn't want to lead so that he can armchair quarterback, criticize and critique states and try to pass the buck to somebody else. And if he actually did offer a detailed set of guidance or rules on how you reopen a daycare center or a school or uh, a retail uh, industry, um, then he would be up for criticism and uh, and accountability. And president just doesn't want that. Yeah, it seems that, I mean, it's increasingly clear. Uh, I mean, I thought it was pretty clear last week, but I mean, more more so than ever, even now with the latest CNN reporting about the president and others in the White House questioning the death toll number, saying they might be overinflated. And if every expert we've talked to says the opposite, including Fauci and, uh, and, and Mike uh, Osterholm, who we just heard from. But the idea that, uh, that they're going to sit on this thing and bury it, um, it just seems like the administration is trying to put as much distance between President Trump and this virus. Say that say not as many people have died from the virus. Don't do testing. Don't promote testing because uh, then the numbers won't go up of the actual overall cases. Don't give out guidance. Say you're the person who, who got the country going again. I mean, all of these decisions are just geared toward election and politics. It's not geared toward the best practices in the midst of a global pandemic, the likes of which we have not seen in our lifetimes. Yeah, the president, um, you know, views this as a political problem. Uh, He doesn't view this as a public health problem that he's got to solve. And he's shown no interest in actually taking any leadership role from the very beginning. I mean, he he put in place this travel ban early on. It's really the only tangible thing that he points to even to this day. And it didn't work. 400,000 people came here from China, even with the travel ban. Uh, And after that, he effectively gave up. I mean, he left the rest of the response to the states, to cities, to hospital systems. And he just wants to hold his press conferences and uh, try to spin the politics of this as best he can. Um, But there are certain things that the federal government can do better than states. And this is one of them, um, giving us the expertise on all of the nuances involved in the differences between uh, opening up this kind of business 
business or that kind of not-for-profit. And so without that expertise, um, we're really left on our own. And states are going to make mistakes. And that is a life or death consequence. I mean, Dr. Redfield's answer to you, I got to say, I just thought it was insulting. It was just like boilerplate non-answer that, you know, I mean, just I mean, I don't know. I don't know him personally. I'm sure he's he's incredibly well respected. And and but, you know, he's been knee that organization has been kneecapped. I mean, they messed up the testing early on. That was that was, you know, seems like it was a lot of lot on them at the CDC. Um, I don't know if the president has no confidence in them, what it is, but they've just kneecapped that organization. Well, the CDC's failed. I mean, the CDC is responsible for stopping a pandemic from like this arriving in the United States. The CDC is supposed to be deployed overseas and then is supposed to be in charge of erecting a prevention infrastructure inside the United States. There is just no assessment other than the CDC failed. Now, Dr. Redfield's answer to me is maddening. Um, But the real story behind his answer is that he doesn't know when this guidance is coming out. Uh, What we know from reporting is that he signed off on the guidance. Yeah, and it's sitting in the White House. It's up to the president to release it. And so he can't give us an answer when it's coming out because the president, I guess, has decided that it's never coming out. And the fact that Dr. Burks gave the answer that she did to us last week, I mean, I just, you know, look, I I don't know what what her where her mind is on this. But I mean, you know, saying, oh, no, 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 it's just being edited. Well, that's a really long edit for something that's already you know, the game is well underway and it's a dead, you know, it's not a game. It's a, it's life and death. And uh, and if they're sitting on this detailed edit, that just seems insane. Uh, Senator Murphy, I appreciate your well, work. Thank they, you and, very much. And, and, and Anderson, if talk. they didn't want. Yeah, it, sorry. Go ahead. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. No, I just said if they didn't want to send out this guidance, they shouldn't have developed it in the first place. I mean, they're in this position um, because of this general incompetence of stops and starts. Yeah, no doubt about it. Uh, Senator Murphy, thank you. Appreciate it. Coming up, I'm going to talk with another Murphy, New Jersey Governor Phil Murphy, who says that per capita, no state is currently being hit harder by the virus in his state. And we'll talk about what reopening looks like, especially for schools and beaches in New Jersey. New Jersey will begin to slowly reopen this coming Monday. Non-essential construction can resume along with curbside pickup at non-essential retail businesses. Governor Phil Murphy is leaving no doubt how brutal the pandemic has been to his state. Looking at the numbers of COVID-19 cases, hospitalizations and deaths per 100,000 New Jerseyans, we we can make a strong case that no state is currently impacted as impacted as ours. I spoke with the governor just before airtime. Governor, as bad as New Jersey has been hit, can you just give me a sense of, of where you think you are as a state in this pandemic and, uh, and your process in thinking about kind of opening up and how to go? Good to be with you, Anderson. Again, congratulations to you and your little guy. Um, we're making a lot of progress, but we're not out of the woods. Uh, hospitalizations are down, ICU beds, ventilator use, the heat maps look a lot better. Uh, we're still losing far too many people. We've lost over 9,700 blessed souls. And we are still per 100,000 residents, test, uh, positive tests, hospitalizations, fatalities, uh, unfortunately, number one in America. Having said that, we are making progress and we're beginning slowly but surely to open things up. We opened up state and county parks a couple of weekends ago with good effect. 
We announced today we're opening up non-essential construction, non-essential curbside retail pickup, uh, drive-throughs and drive-ins. So slowly but surely, uh, we are beginning to get back on our feet. Uh, but again, we're not out of the woods yet. In terms of, of schools, uh, you know, Stanford uh, said today it's unlikely that uh, it's not likely that they will be reopened to have students in the fall. Uh, uh, you know, the university uh, system in, in California, uh, same same situation. I'm wondering what what are you looking at in terms of universities in New Jersey and also, you know, high schools, elementary schools? Still too early to tell. We're, we're on remote learning for the balance of this school year at all levels. Uh, and we are beginning as best we can to war game what the end of August looks like for everything from pre-K up through higher ed. We've got some of the great, great American, if not global institutions of higher ed in this state. Uh, and we are trying to do the best we can X months out uh, in war gaming for that. But I would say, Anderson, it's too early to tell. Uh, but we are beginning to put the pieces together to try to figure out how the path leads us from where we are now to potential, at least potential reopenings. And in terms of the, the shoreline beaches, uh, obviously with the warm weather, that's a huge concern. I talked to uh, Eric Garcetti, the mayor in Los Angeles yesterday, uh, and he was talking about looking at sort of how people are using beaches. It's not just a question of, you know, one size fits all that that, you know, maybe it's a focus on people you know, doing stuff that's wet in the water, uh, surfing, swimming in the water, that's one thing, but laying around on the beach in the sun, that's another thing. Do you have a sense, I know you said you're gonna announce it before Memorial Day, uh, and you know, you're probably still looking at it, but, but, but what is the process of kind of looking at it? Yeah, we're still baking it, and I hope to be able to go live with something actually tomorrow. The process has been important because we have been working very closely with the counties and the communities along the Jersey Shore, which is not just a Jersey jewel, but an American jewel. We're going to give guidance on that tomorrow, effective Memorial Day weekend. But I think you, you, you should expect to see and folks should expect to see something uh, of a similar vein as we did with county and state parks, which is mandating social distance for sure and, and finding some ways to limit capacity. For state parks, we did it by limiting the parking spaces by 50%. That's not so easy with beaches, uh, but that's a step uh, that we're going to we're, we're working through as we speak. Uh, and again, it's going to be effective for Memorial Day, and we'll we'll monitor that carefully. One of the benefits, you know, we we talk all the time a dimmer switch versus a light switch. We can't turn, we can't flip a switch and open everything up at once. That would be irresponsible, particularly given we're still fighting this thing tooth and nail. This has got to be the toughest decision that you've ever had to make. I, I, I mean, I would assume just from a leadership standpoint, balancing the financial needs, the economic, you know, lifeblood needs of people and, and human lives. Yeah, it's not. Listen, uh, uh, it, it, there's no playbook for this. We're not we're not pulling off the shelf what we did last time for sure. But we're firmly in the camp. Of, of doing everything we can to save every blessed human life we can. We think we can do both uh, responsible incremental steps to reopen uh, with the general population. And, and again, we're, we're monitoring and enforcing those steps 
quite aggressively and at the same time protect every single human life we can. We've already lost far too many in New Jersey, in our country. Uh, we want to save as many lives as humanly possible. Governor, I appreciate your time. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me, Anderson. Well, just ahead, more on combating the virus. We're going to meet two family members of a seemingly healthy eight-year-old boy who collapsed last month, nearly died. The mystery of how the virus affects kids and the remarkable story about how his brother saved him. We'll be right back. Think about your home for a moment. It's where life happens. It's where you build that treehouse or try that new recipe. It's where you rest and recharge, work and play. You expect a lot out of it. And that's why HomeAdvisor is committed to keeping your home up and running, no matter what. They match you with the best pros in your area. Pros who can get your home projects done right. From unexpected jobs like appliance repairs, clogged gutters, and leaky faucets, to projects you actually look forward to, like creating your very own backyard summer retreat or getting that new pool installed. Whatever it is, they're here to help. And the HomeAdvisor app makes it easy. Use it to book and pay for more than 100 projects with just a few taps. Plus, if you're looking for some local inspiration, you can see trending tasks in your neighborhood. So whether you need a last-minute fix, routine home maintenance, or an exciting new upgrade, HomeAdvisor is here, ready to do everything to fix your everything. Download the HomeAdvisor app and get started today. Well, the CDC has told CNN that it's going to soon issue a warning to doctors to look out for a dangerous inflammatory disease affecting kids. One that's linked to the coronavirus, uh, how the virus affects children, still something a mystery. We've been talking about this for, for quite a number of days now. For, for instance, the virus can harm children with previously undiagnosed underlying illnesses, which is what happened to an eight-year-old son and brother of our next two guests. Last month, Jaden Hardwar came down with a mild fever. Several days later, while with his mom, Jaden collapsed. His older brother, Tyron, ran into the room and administered CPR. EMTs soon arrived and had to use a defibrillator to revive Jaden, who didn't test positive for coronavirus, but did test positive for coronavirus antibodies. Joining me now is Jaden's father, uh, Rupa Hardawar, and his brother, Tyron, who helped save uh, his brother's life. Uh, Rupa and Tyron, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, it's just such an incredible story. Um, yeah. Rupa, can you just tell me, first of all, how is Jaden right now? So Jaden is back home. He has come a long way. At this moment, he's working and building up his mobility back in terms of walking. And he also, in terms of communication, he wasn't able to, uh, to over the past 24 hours, he has come back a far way because he's home. I think that's helping him in terms of making sentences and start to be ba get back his strong voice. And Rup, when did, I mean, how long has he kind of been feeling sick? Prior to, prior to him going to a cardiac arrest, he had a fever, and after that fever, it, the fever lasted about three days, but then he was fine again. However, he started with a diarrhea that eventually, three days later, he was in a cardiac arrest. My God, and that's so terrifying. Tyron, you're 15 years old. Uh, you're a Boy Scout, clearly. Um, I love the, the, the uniform looks great. It's so amazing what you did. did where did you learn CPR? I learned CPR through scouting. I'm a life scout right now, and soon I'll become an Eagle Scout. Um, one scouting wow, requirement. That's so impressive. Yeah, every scout needs to learn CPR. Uh, recently, I took a training in NYU Educational Lab, and there I had hands-on training 
and that's where you know get familiar with CPR and practice. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I learned it a while ago, but I, I just have had a uh, have a son now. And I, I after reading your story today, I just reminds me I got I, I need to learn CPR right now, particularly on, you know, on a on a baby. Uh, were you nervous? Because, I mean, it's one thing to learn something like CPR, you know, in class for for uh, for Boy Scouts to actually do it, you know, when adrenaline is pumping and there's emotion and, you know, people are, you know, upset and crying around you. What, what was it? Were you nervous? I was very nervous. I had all these thoughts going through my head, but then I told myself I need to put them aside and I need to focus in order to, you know, be able to perform CPR. And I was able to do exactly that. I was able to. Um, that's incredible. You know, once, uh, once I saw. I mean, uh, I that's a real skill. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, once I saw I was pumping, you know, I saw him take a deep breath. And I was like, I know he's, I'm doing something right. And I, um, and I continue that I'm very happy that, you know, I made an impact in his life. I was able to come back today. Yeah. And, and Roop, uh, Jaden's case, I mean, it, it's really unique because he didn't test positive for the virus. An MRI, I understand, didn't pick up anything, uh, which you would expect to see some, something on an MRI. But then he did test positive for antibodies. Yes. So this this is a mystery of what's happening with the kids today, and and this is what we that's why we're here with you, Anderson, to let everyone know that it's it's a mystery, and the doctors are still, I believe, trying to figure this out. Jaden, they they're saying had the virus sometime back, but then for us, we're thinking, did he had it during school, which is four or five weeks ago? Now his underlying condition that they are talking about is something called Brugada syndrome, and that's what. That's what they think got compromised as a result of the coronavirus. That's something that we never knew Did about. Did you know he had the syndrome? Oh, you, you, no, did, you didn't we, know? No, no, we never knew this. And it's, it's an underlying, underlying condition that just came about right now. And the doctors believe it's as a result of the virus. I mean, that's so important. I'm so glad, you know, you 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 came on to talk about this, because the idea that he might have had it, uh, you know, when from school, which, as you said, would have been weeks and weeks and weeks ago, didn't even know about it at the time. But because of this undiagnosed underlying condition now has had this this terrible reaction. That's such a warning for for parents and kind of a wake up for all of us to, to be watching so carefully our kids. Yes, definitely. Um, at one point, we know that we should only adults are, are the elderly we should look at. But I would say today it's not the case. We, we have to look at our kids and look at all the signs that are coming along. The signs are no longer COVID related signs. They can be anything that you have to take very serious. And in Jaden's case, we were taking things serious. We did consult his pediatrician and even for them, they thought it was just a flu that he had with a high temperature because yeah. he had no no COVID symptoms, just a flu. Wow. Well, a it's, a, it's a wake up for doctors as, as well. Yeah. Uh, Roop, I, I'm so glad he's uh, he's home and, and doing better. And uh, I wish you the best. I wish your whole family and Tyron. Thank you so much. It's so impressive. It's so cool that you're a Boy Scout and going for Eagle Scout and to you know, to, to learn something through Boy Scouts and to be able to actually help save a life. I mean, that's just, it just, it doesn't get any better than that. So thank you so much, Tyron. Really appreciate it. I wish you luck on uh, getting the Eagle Scout. Thank you. Uh, thank you for having us, Anderson.
And you guys take care and my best to your family. Up next, we're going to continue to remember those who have lost their lives in this pandemic, including an AIDS activist, an anti-death penalty advocate, and one half of a famous magic act. We'll be right back. Well, tonight we remember uh, some of those who have lost their lives uh, due to coronavirus. Dolores Dockery was known as a champion and a role model for women living with HIV. She tested positive for HIV in 1994. From then on, she went to work becoming an advocate for those living with HIV AIDS. For the past 15 years, she worked at the Hyacinth AIDS Foundation. I can't pronounce, I practice that word. The flower, Hyacinth. I got to work on it. AIDS Foundation in New Jersey. They called her the fiercest champion the HIV world has ever seen. She was known as a hero or fought for others in need. Dolores Dockery was 60 years old. Jerry Givens served as Virginia's chief executioner from 1982 to 1999. During his tenure, he oversaw 62 ex- executions, but he began to question his job and the practice of capital punishment. He later became an outspoken activist against the death penalty. His colleagues say his biggest fear was that he may have executed an innocent person. He leaves behind a wife and two sons. Jerry Givens was 67 years old. Roy Horn was part of the, Z- the duo Siegfried and Roy. They were performers who were famous, obviously, for their magic and illusion shows featuring exotic animals, tigers, and lions. They began their shows in Europe before moving their act to Las Vegas, where they entertained audiences for more than 40 years. Their show ended in 2003 after Horn was attacked on stage by a white tiger on his 59th birthday. He recovered from the attack, but only performed on stage one more time before retiring. His longtime partner, Siegfried Fischbacher, said that while the world lost one of the greats of magic, he lost his best friend. Roy Horn was 75 years old. Our thoughts go out to all the families, those who have been affected by the coronavirus. News continues. I want to hand over to Chris for Cuomo Primetime. 